You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Now, I just need to declare a few things. I declare in Jesus' name, the spirit of infirmity is broken off the digestive system in people's bodies. Leave now. Loose now. Now. I rebuke the spirit of arthritis that congregates around old injuries. We declare to be illegal in Jesus' name. I speak to the ears in the name of the Lord Jesus. Be open now. Watch what happens. Give us testimony tomorrow. Write out or talk to someone on staff here. Let them know what Jesus has done for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This is Heaven Bent. I'm Tara Jean Stevens. Episode 4, The Power to Heal. I'm a couple months now into this exploration of Bethel Church in Redding, California. And if my research is telling me anything, it's that Bethel has become widely known as the place to go if you're looking for a supernatural healing, arthritis, digestive issues, and even cancer. On this episode, we'll take a closer look at Bethel's reputation for healing miracles and how a belief in the supernatural impacted the life of my next guest, Kristen Cook Ambrose. I remember this one time he was telling me, oh, I'm, I'm doing spiritual warfare right now. Um, you know, there's someone, I just saw a vision of them driving outside of our house and they're trying to spiritually attack me because I'm trying to make headway in the kingdom. And so in the middle of the night, I'm literally on my knees praying for him, you know, joining him in spiritual warfare. When and he was in tripping all out? reality, he's just on a mixture of heroin and meth and a couple other kinds of narcotics. We'll meet Kristen and hear her jaw-dropping story in a moment. But first, I want to tell you about Olive. Olive was a two-year-old girl from the inner circle of the Bethel congregation. And on December 14th, 2019, she tragically passed away suddenly in her sleep. And within just a few days of her death, Christians across the country and around the world would be speaking her name, accepting Bethel's very public invitation to please pray that Olive would be raised from the dead. For a little more context, once again, Reading reporter Annalise Pierce. Olive was the daughter of uh, one of the worship leaders and I believe a revival pastor at Bethel's um, School of Ministry and at Bethel Church. I think the whole community was sort of holding their breaths um, in distress for the family, either in distress that they hoped she would be raised from the dead or distress that the the family was believing she could be raised from the dead. In either case, uh, I think that the entire community felt devastated by this loss and and perhaps increasingly devastated by the multiple days that prayer went on and there was sort of a, a pause in anyone knowing the outcome. 
six days. Bethel held an ecstatic and emotional vigil, calling upon God to give them this miracle for six long days. All the while, the hashtag WakeUpOlive was trending wildly on Christian Twitter and other social media platforms too, and not just amongst Christians. This story was huge. It even made mainstream news headlines in America. Eventually, Bethel and Olive's parents admitted that this resurrection was not meant to be, and funeral arrangements began. But this perceived ability to raise the dead through the healing power of Jesus Christ, this is something that the leaders of Bethel and BSSM truly believe in, and they empower their students to really run with it. There's this one BSSM grad named Tyler Johnson, and he even started something called the Dead Raising Team, described on its website as a service of support to any family that is grieving the loss of a loved one. The Dead Raising Team stakes claim to 15 resurrections. Now, even one would have been a big deal, right? But 15? This is a really bold statement. I've reached out to Tyler, but for now, he hasn't responded. Maybe he's got some kind of documentation that he could share with me to back up these claims. Because that's honestly, at this point, what I'm looking for. And don't get me wrong, I am so moved by all the personal testimonies of miracles and the tales of supernatural signs and wonders. They are mysterious and they are so thought-provoking. But there's thousands, if not millions, of these stories out there. There's a whole dedicated section at Bethel.com, story after story, and I've gone over pretty much all of them. And even the cream of the crop of them seem to require some level of faith in order to not believe that it could just be like coincidence or some known or unknown science or maybe even fabricated altogether. I mean, wow me. Come on. If there is a God, if supernatural miracles exist, if they are happening in this world, if people are truly getting healed, if people are being raised from the dead, blow my mind. I'm here. Show me. Show everyone. If all these claims are real, shouldn't the stories baffle everyone who hears about them, Christian or non? Or is this an unreasonable expectation on my behalf? So hi, um, my name is Kristen, and I'm from the Yosemite area of California. As we're about to learn, Kristen was involved with Bethel when she was much younger. But in December of 2019, she definitely remembers hearing about Olive, about some Christians who were praying for a baby who was in a morgue. I think I might have heard about, you know, some baby that people were praying for, um, but I didn't know it was Bethel. I can't believe I was that out of the loop. Um, But now that I know about it, it makes perfect sense. This is what they've been saying God can do. Um, This is a a person in leadership on the worship team. It's their two-year-old daughter. If if God's going to heal anyone's baby, why wouldn't it be this one? I I understand why they did it. Um, And then I think, of course, it's almost the most heartbreaking thing because people need to, to be able to heal in the natural realm. And, and, and trying to heal in the supernatural realm 
probably stunts that. What a testament to their faith, though, hey? Oh, like, yeah. just that oh they gosh, would put weeks, themselves right? out there like that. <laughs> that. That the leaders would put themselves out and say, you know, use a hashtag and try to start a trend <laughs> and like say, like, let everybody know we believe yeah. that God can raise this child from the dead. That is you know? really putting yourself out there. And it's yeah, almost right. like... So Kristen, wide, like, she lives in California like, now, but she grew up in a place called Grants Pass, Oregon. And my connection to Bethel is that uh, my home church in Southern Oregon when I grew up was kind of a sister church to Bethel. And yes, um, I really was on the floor convulsing. I was dancing in the front of the aisles. Um, I was speaking in tongues. I was slain in the spirit for hours. I've prayed over people and, and felt that God was telling me things about them that they needed to hear. Um, I looked at my hands during worship and I saw sparkles and I thought, maybe this is gold dust. Maybe this is makeup. I don't really know. Um, but all of the crazy things, uh, that, that you've heard, I did firsthand for probably five years. Kristen remembers it being a great source of pride amongst her and her church friends that the revival, the Toronto Blessing Revival, no less, had broken out in their church in Oregon a whole year or so before it ever broke out in their sister church, Bethel, a nearly three-hour drive away across state lines. I feel like we as a Southern Oregon church sort of met up with Bethel and um, helped them also, whatever the buzzword is, catch the fire, get into the river, um, get the blessing of God. Fast forward to 2005, in her mid-twenties, Kristen found herself moving to Reading to go to college. She describes for me a community that, like it still is today, was embedded with extremely enthusiastic Christians. Christians who were on a mission to bring healing and revival to the lives of complete strangers. To Bethel folk, even a trip to the grocery store could be a potential God moment. So if someone from the um, Supernatural School goes to uh, the Waffle House, they aren't really going for waffles. Uh, you're fully aware that when you go there, you're asking God to reveal something to you about the waitress so that you can tell the waitress, uh, you know, God's telling me that you have a sick son at home and uh, he wants to tell you that it's going to be okay. Everything is a potential God moment so that, you know, you can surprise the waitress or the host or whatever um, into believing in God because how else could uh, you have known about X, Y, and Z? More Heaven Bent after this. Now, around the time Kristen first moved to Reading, when she still didn't know a lot of people, she got some really bad news. Her mom had been diagnosed with cancer. It was breast cancer. And my aunt had passed away from breast cancer just the year before. So a diagnosis to me uh, was incredibly negative, very heavy, and it really impacted me. Um, not being close to her, she was still in Oregon and I was in Reading. And so um, being a Christian, I just really wanted, I wanted someone to talk to. I wanted someone to cry with. I wanted someone, um, I guess, to comfort me. Um, and, I, and of course, a church body is the first place to think about. So many things happen. Cancer disappear in worship. So many things. And I thought, Bethel is known for being the kind of church where people 
are operating in supernatural gifts. If anyone um, is someone to reach out for healing, they're the ones. If anyone would be someone who would um, essentially know my business without me telling them, they would be the ones. There's either somebody here or you represent somebody here with bowel cancer and the Lord is healing bowel cancer tonight. We make a decree. Cancer dies in the presence of the Almighty God. We've seen countless numbers of people healed, including epilepsy, including bipolar, including schizophrenia. We've seen Jesus, his power come upon people and restore injury or illnesses that they were born with. Chemical disorder, doesn't matter what it is, he is the author of restoration. So Kristen, in her time of need, returned to the church that she'd visited as a teenager. By then, Bethel definitely had a lot to offer, beyond even the possibility for a healing miracle for her mom. The music. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I think that millennials are probably drawn to, and this is me, I, I'm a little bit old for a millennial, but the group atmosphere, the team player, um, the if you've heard the music, the Jesus culture, the um, Kim Walker, these are powerful musicians. Um, there, there is emotion in, in those services. And uh, you feel like you're part of something really big. And I will say that when I went to the, uh, the home group for people my age, they had a lot of them. I did the one that was in my neighborhood. Um, Somehow they attract very attractive people, <laughs> very, you know, athletic. It just feels like a very, um, I hate to even use these words, um, cliquish. And uh, if you can fit the mold, I think you're going to fit in very well and feel like um, part of a family. And I understand why that is so appealing when the leaders are your age, the followers are your age, the movers and shakers are your age. It isn't uh, older people telling you about how things should be. It's 19-year-olds it's um, the, getting the reins and uh, taking control of things and, and hearing from God just as well, um, as, as far as they know, than someone twice or three times their age. And no one connected with me. I never felt um, a, a sincere friendship forming um, and no one to talk to. That's when Kristen decided to put Bethel to the test. My decision was to go to Bethel, even though I've been a few times, and sit in the service. And after the service was over, I was going to stay seated and not leave until someone came to me, until someone said hello. I was seeking friendship, companionship, and I hadn't found that at Bethel yet. They might have to shut down the doors, turn off the lights, um, but I'm not gonna get out of that seat until someone seeks me out. Um, little did I know that that's exactly what the School of Supernatural Ministry wants. They are literally told to wait until after the service is over, and if anyone is lingering, um, approach them, and they can become your practice test subjects. So you go to them, um, the ministry students, in pairs, two people, with a tape recorder, and you ask them permission to prophesy over them and to tape it, and then to give them the tape to keep. What she was hoping for, what she was hoping would happen, is that someone would sit with her, 
ask her how she was doing, listen as she shared what was on her heart and pray with her, sure, maybe even follow up with a coffee date. What I got was two college-age girls, very friendly and bubbly, come up to me and introduce themselves and then ask me if they could, you know, prophesy over me and give me a tape. And so I said, sure. And uh, they did. And it was all generic, um, positive, but no mention of the pain that I'm feeling inside. No mention of my mom. They, they did not reach into uh, things in my mind that only I would know. But they said some great things. That being said, when they were done, they stopped the tape, handed it to me, and left. And so I, my last experience at Bethel was disappointment that what it seemed they had was um, a superficial connection with people, but they thought it was a deep connection with people. But I felt what I really wanted was a hug. <laughs> what I really wanted was a person to listen to maybe, you know, let me cry with them for a minute and even give me a, a real, real life story. Like, you know, I've known someone with cancer and they, they actually survived, you know, but I didn't get any of that. And I decided never to go back because there were other churches that were much smaller that didn't have any signs and wonders. And those people came to me and asked follow-up questions who wanted to have the real relationship. And that's what I value now. How's your mom? She's fine. She's fine. Yeah, she's been cancer-free for 20 years, I guess. That's great. I know. I can't believe it. I mean, I can believe it because, you know, doctors have medicine. (laughs) People have skills. And uh, some things, sometimes things do work out. So Kristen might have never stepped foot in Bethel again, but she still held on to her belief in the supernatural for years to come. In 2009, she married a man she'd only met nine months previously. They didn't know each other well, but she knew he was a Christian. And on top of that, Kristen says he ticked off all the boxes for what she thought was a decent mate for her. That being said, um, when he realized maybe a year into our relationship that I had a charismatic background, and I think he, the light went on in his head, oh, she's into this. Like, this this is the weird stuff she's into. And he ended up using... Uh, God and uh, I guess manifestations as an excuse for his weird behavior. Turns out her husband was a drug addict and Kristen says she had no idea. And so some mornings or, uh, you know, nights he would be talking in his sleep and uh, he would be mumbling and I'd wake him up. And I remember this one time he was telling me, Oh, I'm, I'm doing spiritual warfare right now. Um, you know, there's someone, I just saw a vision of them driving outside of our house and they, um, they're trying to spiritually attack me because I'm trying to make headway in the kingdom. And so I'm, I'm just doing spiritual warfare, you know, keep praying for me. And so in the middle of the night, I'm literally on my knees praying for him, you know, joining him in spiritual warfare. When and he was in tripping all out? reality, he's just on a mixture of heroin and meth and a couple other kinds of narcotics. Dude. I, I know. And, and I, what I'm seeing is a drug trip, but I had no idea what a drug trip looked like. Oh I was my taught. gosh. Why did he care to <laughs> deceive you like that? Like, Well, he's just is a serial manipulator. I think it's probably just what he learned. And I think he was decent at it. 
he could make up jobs and uh, make up people <laughs> and uh, seem like he had a function or functioning, you know, um, reality. But the truth is he was not functioning well. He was stealing and um, breaking into houses and, and selling drugs and, and all those things. For several years, this stuff was going on right under her nose. So how did Kristen finally come to realize and be honest with herself about the truth about her husband? The police, honestly. How many times do the police have to come and search your house or your car um, before there's you can't explain it away? So, you know, I remember once they searched the house and they ended up finding enough things that did land him in, in prison, actually. But um, I didn't know that. All I knew is that when the female police officer left, she kind of took me aside and said, if you really don't know about this, like this is all drug paraphernalia right here. I had a notebook already going of things that didn't make sense, of things I found or of money missing. And so I, I finally put two and two together. What a testament to how vulnerable we are left. So vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. But it is the story about how um, being in a charismatic movement can you know, stunt your preparedness for just real life. By 2013, Kristen was divorced and beginning the process of deconverting or deconstructing her beliefs. But for myself, deconstruction came from having cherry-picked the Bible almost to death and then having someone ask me, if you've cherry-picked it this much, what's left and why are you clinging to it. Today, Kristen says the term apathist best describes her belief system, meaning she doesn't care about accepting or rejecting any claims that God exists or does not exist. I've deconstructed my religion um, to be able to understand those supernatural experiences in a different sort of lens. And I feel like it's all mostly explainable. Uh, even if I can't explain why music can be emotional and why I am drawn to like a corporate worship experience, um, why the longer I sit with my eyes closed, the more comforted I feel. It's, I don't know why I feel that. I understand that it's natural, that it's not supernatural, um, and that I don't need to have some larger explanation. Next time on Heaven Bent. Overall, there's a sense in the community that not only are folks who attend Bethel pretty lax about social distancing and mask wearing, but they're also very lax about quarantining. And the, the primary reason for all that is that they just don't believe this is a community perception, that Bethel folks don't believe that the virus is really dangerous. Well, there's conflicting things. So there's what Bethel says they're doing. But then there's also social media posts from people who I know, and it does not seem like things are being taken that seriously. And within a few days, it was in the news that public health was saying as well that contract tracing was showing that BSSM was the source of quite a few COVID positive cases. Well, we were no longer able to meet for our main sessions um, in person at the Civic Center. So that was, you know, that was a little bit disappointing, um, especially for people that, you know, worked really, really hard to be here. Um, and there was a there was a temptation to feel really like depressed about it and like, you know, ask God, like, why? Why is this happening? Like, I thought this was going to be different. 